Welcome to the Juno Report, brought to you by Guide Dog Users Incorporated, a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. The Juno Report is a monthly audio magazine featuring all things guide dogs, training programs, and items of general interest to guide dog teams. We welcome your feedback, ideas, and suggestions. Get in touch with the Juno Report by emailing junoreport at guidedogusersinc.org. Again, that email address is juno, J-U-N-O, report at guidedogusersinc.org. I love my dog, baby, I love my dog. Na, 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 I said I love my dog, baby, I love my dog. And now, let's get on with today's program of the Juno Report. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Juno Report for June. The uh, monthly Juno Report was named after. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, it is great to be with you again this month, and I'm looking forward to today's episode, as I'm sure you are. I want to just give you a couple of very quick reminders. It is time to register for the ACB National Convention and the virtual convention this year, and you can learn about that at acbconvention.org. And on Monday and Tuesday during the ACB convention, uh, GDUI will have some wonderful programming, and I'm so excited that it's going to be available to everyone this year. There are so many benefits to actually registering for the convention. You will get all of the Zoom links and phone numbers. You'll get um, entered into the door prize drawings and uh, it's just a great way to support the organization. So thank you for registering, and I look forward to seeing all of you at GDUI's special events on Monday and Tuesday during Convention Week. All right, let's get to today's program. This is the last of the items we have from a last year's uh, GDUI convention. It was actually one of the first things at the convention. Uh, these folks are from the University of North Georgia, Dr. Robert Powers and Dr. Susan uh, Kalish, and they are going to talk about some of the physical things that happen with us and our dogs as we work together. And this is entitled Moans, Groans, and Grumbles. We have edited it to fit in the time that we have. Uh, so you can go up to the um, ACB web radio website and find the podcast and listen to the entire thing. But you actually are going to get almost all of the real content here. But I just have to be honest and say that, yes, this has been somewhat edited. Let's go to our presentation for today on the Juno Report. Good afternoon. Well, I'll, um, I'll introduce myself first. Um, I'm Dr. Robert Powers, so that's over with. You can drop the doctor part. Just call me Robert, please. Um, and uh, it's wonderful to be here. We're, um, we're both from uh, Dahlonega, Georgia, which is uh, the uh, town of the first gold rush uh, in the U.S., uh, and there was, a, there was a mint there, a U.S. mint there for many, many years, uh, and um, we're from the University of North Georgia, which is also the uh, Military College of Georgia, and we're one of the five senior military colleges uh, that are still active in the U.S. Um, we're from the Department of 
physical therapy, although I'm not a physical therapist. Um, I, I have a PhD in biochemistry and statistics, uh, but I guess it'll get clear a little later why I'm uh, associated with this uh, particular story. Um, uh, let's see, in addition, to, uh, uh, in addition to that, I also have a, a Master's of Divinity from Emory University uh, and served for uh, 21 years as a, as a minister in the middle of my scientific career. Uh, so whichever way this thing goes, you know, evolution, creationism, I feel I got it pretty covered. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's wonderful to, to be up here. Everybody's been so, so, uh, so nice and friendly uh, and inviting to us. And, and it's great to hear all you people with strange accents. <laughs> and, uh, let's, and let's see, I, I, I also say I'm, I'm a pilot and a, a Harley motorcycle rider. And um, uh, I've been married uh, for 52 years. So, wow. so that's kind of who I am. Uh, and I'm going to let uh, Dr. McCall uh, talk about herself. And then she'll introduce, and I'll be back in a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here in front of so many dog lovers. Um, I'm Sue Ann McCall. I'm an associate professor at the University of North Georgia in physical therapy. I am a physical therapist. I have uh, degrees in education and uh, a couple of degrees in physical therapy and certifications in orthopedics. And I also want to bring you greetings from our dean, uh, Dr. Teresa Connor Carr. She was unable to uh, be here this um, afternoon. She is actually uh, one that prompted this particular line of research that we um, are just astounded with and amazed with um, by the people that we run into, by the questions that you all bring to us, and we will have that um, opportunity in a few moments, and by the, um, the ideas that we're finding out through all of our research that we wanted to share with you today. So she sends her best to you. The summer is a very interesting time at the University of North Georgia in our program. We enter our new cohort. It's a three-year program, and they come through as a cohort. I don't know if you know physical therapy. We, um, we have 500 people that interview or, or apply to pr our program every year, and we pick about 100 for interviews, and we seat a class of 30. Oh, so it's incredibly um, competitive. And so this first, the, the push-off in the summer, um, Dr. Connor Carr is a, a brilliant anatomist and cell biologist and a physical therapist and a wound care specialist. And so she is just really uh, up to her neck in um, anatomy lab and histology uh, lectures. And so she does send her regrets for not being here and also her very best for thanking you all for having us here. So we thought, uh, Robert and I were very casual, and um, we thought we, we would share with you how we got to this place. Um, oh, and I also own three golden retrievers that are, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I'm not a minister, but I, I'm a dog lover. So, um, uh, so we thought we'd share with you how we got to this place and what we have found so far. Um, and like any good researchers, we listen to our subjects and the things that they tell us and the questions that they are asking, just like good educators. We listen to our students and the questions that they're asking and try to respond appropriately and deeper and um, broader. So um, our story began uh, with, Dr. Uh, with Teresa um, coming to our college as our dean. 
and um, she had two uh, two students that were looking into just guide dog users. You know, what is a guide dog user? She, in her previous life, she um, was running a wound care clinic in North Carolina and observed some of her clients coming in that would either have guide dogs or their partners would have guide dogs. And being a good physical therapist, she would look at posture and gait, the things that we are movement specialists, and wonder, you know, does that hurt? That should cause pain. Does it cause pain? Does it cause pain now? Or does that posture cause pain over time? So she brought those questions to her, uh, with her to the University of North Georgia. At the same time, of of course, being a guide dog lover, uh, a a dog lover, and um, doing amateur physical therapy on all of my dogs through my life. Um, I got in trouble a lot putting them in our hot tubs, you know, the hair clogging up the drain and <laughs> and uh, putting my dachshund in little um, number three galvanized tubs. You might not know what that is this far north of the Mason-Dixon line, but yeah, you know, okay. So that's how I did her hydrotherapy when her back legs were um, would go out on her. So, um, uh, so I was always interested in what was going on with the dog. And we finally got together and said, well, you know, there's this very unique combination with guide dog users and guide dogs. I said, let's do it. Let's have a look. So um, being good scientists and researchers, we started looking the scientific literature to see what was published and actually did not find a great deal of literature to support some of the questions that we had. So we embarked on this, on this um, adventure. We also recruited several graduate students. That's part of their curriculum. And part of what we um, feel like they should do is the scientific inquiry method. So um, all most graduate students, I should say, love dogs. And uh, we had plenty to sign up for our program. And um, we created a survey. So uh, let me just also say we were also fortunate to have one of our graduate students um, was is a puppy raiser for the uh, Georgia Guide Dog for the Blind. And so she gave us some really great tips. And we had several, uh, she had a couple of puppies come through our program, so we felt like they should also get a physical therapy degree because they, they sat in every class also. Um, so we put together a survey, and many of you, and I thank you very much, have uh, participated in that survey. I think we have been called the survey crew. I've heard a couple of folks uh, refer to us as the survey crew. We um, executed the survey through the Guide Dog Handlers Network group on Facebook. Got a really great response. I thank you all very much. And this is where our minister biochemist came in, Dr. Robert Powers, because he's also a really, really great statistician. So um, we recruited him for uh, statistics and to help interpret our, our data. And the things that we found, we submitted to some of our national conventions and were actually recognized for some um, significant importance in our work with guide dog users by questionnaire, simply asking things like, does your shoulder hurt? Um, does your back hurt? Uh, how long have you had a guide dog? Where was your guide dog trained? Um, how old are you? Did you have uh, pain before you got your uh, you received your guide dog? So, from this survey, we we found a couple of things. Um, some are proven in the in the little bit of literature, scientific literature that's out there. And what we found is that um, guide dog users had significantly less falls and less severe injuries when they did fall than before they did getting a dog. We're going to ask you questions about that later to see if it's really true. Um, 
the second thing that we found that was significant was that guide dog users have a significant increase in complaints of pain in their left shoulders more than they did before they got a dog. So like all good guide dogs, we followed our nose and uh, traveled to the 2018 National Federation of the Blind Conference uh, last summer down in Orlando and did more work. We uh, presented very similar to what we're doing now. And then we measured gait. Gait is just how you walk. Um, many of us don't really think about it, but as physical therapists, we observe where your foot hits, what your heel is doing, what your midfoot does, what your toe does, what your hips are doing, what your arms sway, everything in the entire chain from the top of your head to the tip of your toe, we look at and assess and see if it's within a normal posture. Because the theory is that if you're outside the lines of, posture, of a normal posture, that at some point you're going to have mechanical breakdown. Just like uh, if you're riding in a car and you hear a noise, sooner or later, you know, that noise, if not tended to, might be a bearing or a tire that's wearing out or something that had you taken care of it earlier, you might not have gotten into some trouble. So this is the same thing with gait. We um, had guide dog users walk down a mat called the gate right that measures some of these things um, with their dog and then we had them walk down with their cane and uh, we are currently working through that data we I think collected oh what 25,000 pieces of data that we're trying to match or correlate or see if it means anything at all so that's what we have done so far. We have uh, had really great secular interviews. Uh, several um, newspaper articles in Georgia have run um, stories about our work. We were interviewed for uh, Pet Life Radio, uh, work, Works Like Dogs uh, with Marcy, which was a really, uh, a really fun thing to do. And then finally, we, um, we have formed an advisory committee uh, in Georgia two guide dog users, um, one mother of a guide dog user that actually helps, um, pardon the pun, but they vet our project to make, <laughs> to make sure that what we are asking guide dog users to do and guide dogs to do is reasonable. Um, so they help us quite a bit. Um, we also are supporting uh, a nonprofit organization called livinglifeteam.net that Rita Harris, uh, who is also on our advisory board, has um, developed in order to improve life and maximize life for uh, people with visual impairments. And I am fortunate to be a board member um, on, on that um, Living Life team. So to date, that's where we are. That's what we've done. Uh, we feel like, uh, as someone said earlier, it's like peeling an onion. Every time we ask a question and we do a little work, then we find that there are more layers just right under, under that particular question to ask. So I will turn it over to Ro I guess the way we got here, I should say, is that we uh, presented at a guide dog user uh, board meeting in Gainesville, Georgia, at the beginning of the year. And they said, hey, you ought to go to... Um, the ACB, and I said, okay, and then, we, 
you know, again, follow our noses. So we are delighted again to be here. And Andrea has been great with uh, contacting us and making sure that that we know where we're, where we're going and what we're supposed to do. So I'm appreciative uh, for that as well. So I will turn it over to Robert and he will tell you where we are now. And then uh, we'll do a little question and answer. Yeah, it probably is better for us to have come to uh, the um, ACB meeting. Uh, otherwise, we would be at the Mandalay in Las Vegas, and all of our per diem money would be spent in the uh, casino. Um, yes. So we'll go home with a little bit of money left. Uh, yeah, I, and I'll say that before a year ago, I honestly knew really nothing at all all about guide dogs. I mean, I've seen guide dogs uh, uh, and their users, of course, but really never had any experience with it. And so I uh, really never had sort of given much thought to it, as I assume most people have not. Um, and, and after observing up close, uh, it's, I, I will say that it, it is amazing to me. Um, I, will make, I will make this honest confession um, uh, amongst you. I'm not really a dog person. I hope that you won't like hold that against me. Forgive me for that. But, uh, but, but um, I, I just never have understood the concept of, of, of like animals around people. So, um, uh, but, but in the case, uh, in the case of uh, these service dogs, uh, it uh, has been incredibly impressive to me. Uh, I, I sort of didn't think of dogs as being as intelligent as they obviously are. Uh, the, uh, the things that, I, that I've seen um, demonstrated to me are just absolutely amazing. And um, I, I have a tremendous respect uh, for, uh, for these animals. Uh, and, um, and I think probably the first, uh, the first real sort of in-depth uh, uh, look that we had at, uh, at dogs was uh, a lady who lives up in Helen, Georgia, uh, which Anybody here ever been to Helen? It's like a little, oh yeah, like a little bit of Germany in Georgia, um, and uh, uh, with with nice uh, miniature golf. And uh, so, uh, so, so Judy lives uh, up on a mountain in Helen, and um, uh, she has uh, what's this? Her fifth or sixth dog? Fifth. Her fifth dog, uh, and uh, the dog. The dog's name is Holly. Sherry. Ah, Sherry. Um, and uh, so they, um, sorry, I'm, I'm like, I'm his yes, <laughs> Sue Ann takes care of me. Uh, and uh, so she, Judy and Sherry, uh, walk like five miles a day. And so they were going out for a walk. And so uh, uh, we and three of our graduate students went with them. Uh, one of the graduate students made it all the way around and back, and I think it was only because Lauren is like six foot three. Uh, uh, everybody else, uh, Sue Ann and I died uh, about a quarter of a mile into the walk, uh, and um, the other two graduate students still haven't shown back up yet. Um, and, and this was Judy's second walk of the day, and so uh, uh, she, and, and she's how old is she? Seven. She's 70. Uh, and... Um, she she works out um, uh, in addition to in addition to walking uh, makes me feel incredibly um, uh, ashamed for the condition that I'm in, uh, 
But but I think it I think you know it also shows why she is so successful with her dogs. It was uh, and it was it was so amazing. So many of the things that um, uh, that that we that we saw uh, with um, uh, with her her using um, uh, her her guide dogs uh, uh, to to see uh, and, and for for those of us that never had seen this before, I mean, the the dog was incredibly focused, and and as soon as she takes the harness off, the dog is like a dog. Uh, He's like jumping around, and 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 then she puts the harness back on, and Sherry goes back to work again. It was it was it was an amazing thing to see. Um, we we also uh, uh, just for our um, uh, edification, uh, Judy went outside with uh, with her long cane and showed us uh, walking with a cane and and uh, the, the sort of uh, things that you should do and things that you shouldn't do with a cane and this sort of. So, uh, so that really was our very first. Um, experience and uh was was so extremely enlightening um and since then we've had uh, the opportunity to work with uh uh with a number of other people a number of other groups and um and so the the there, there are things that we see as scientists and clinicians which are uh, which are kind of uh obvious to us and uh, then we we know that there are many things that we don't know uh, and we don't see, and so shamelessly, that is uh, part of what we uh, are hoping to uh, to leave with here today uh, is uh, uh, some feedback from you about uh, about things that we ought to be thinking about and things that we ought to be looking at uh, as um, we go on with this particular study. Where we are right now, so we. Um, uh, we, we we know from the research that we've done so far that there is a decrease in the number of falls uh, and uh, the severity of the falls uh, are decreased in people that use dogs versus the same people back when they use long canes. Um, and uh, that, that does make sense. Many of the uh, injuries uh, that the people got earlier um, were injuries to their heads and the dogs... Uh, certainly are able to avoid that to a large extent. Um, and the injuries uh, from falls were to uh, their, their feet and legs. Uh, and um, so that was, uh, that was significantly decreased as well uh, after they were using the dogs. Uh, the, thing that, the thing that we noticed, and we, we didn't actually go looking for this, although it, like many things in science, once we saw it, then it made total sense, uh, is we asked the people about, uh, pain that they had now using a guide dog compared to pain that they had before they used a guide dog when they were using uh, a long cane. And um, what we got was only a statistically significant increase in pain in the shoulder uh, and in that specifically in their left shoulder and 97% of the uh, uh, guide dog users that were in our survey use their dogs in their left hand. Does anybody here use a dog in a right hand? Yeah, I, there's a there's a TV commercial for an insurance company, and they have a fellow with a guide dog, and he's walking with a dog in his right hand, and that's the only time I've ever seen this, uh, unless they got the film turned upside down, maybe, and it's really his left hand. Um, but uh, that that was remarkable to me because that was the only time that I had seen that. So. Uh, so pain, uh, pain in the left shoulder uh, certainly um, makes sense to us. Uh, there was uh, increased uh, uh, pain in the back, but that was not statistically um, 
significant uh, in the measure that we had. As Sue Ann mentioned, uh, uh, down in Orlando last year, we measured 25 people on uh, the gate right system. And um, so we were looking at how they walk uh, their, their gait, you know, the steps, uh, step length, uh, the direction of the steps, how their feet are turned, how the weight is distributed on their feet, all of that sort of stuff, um, with their guide dogs and with their, their canes. And the thing that, that we have found in all of the uh, data that we have looked at is that there doesn't seem to be a lot of difference in the way that the people are walking as far as, as far as they're stepping, as far as their gates are concerned, uh, with um, a guide dog versus with their cane. Uh, and we kind of had expected to sort of see something there, but, but we, don't, we do not see anything. Uh, we're continuing to look at sort of deeper and deeper uh, sort of things like, uh, like little variations in step length and, and, and things like that. But, but as, far as, as far as like a big thing, uh, people seem to walk pretty much the same with their dogs as they walk with uh, their canes. Uh, and that brings us back, I guess, to what... Uh, oh, yes, ma'am. Does that take into account the speed that one is walking? Uh, we, we had them uh, try and have their dogs walk at a, uh, at a normal slow rate. Uh, it's easier to sort of measure. That. And so they ended, up, they ended up with their dogs moving about the same speed as they did with uh, their canes. Uh, we, uh, we had uh, a student walk with them down the, the gate right the first time, uh, so that kind of gave them an idea. Uh, and, and, yeah, that was one of the times that we, we did see this. I mean, there are people with extremely fast dogs um, and uh, also people with extremely short, uh, short and slow dogs, too. Um, uh, are there short, fast ones? Oh, oh that's got to be funny. And uh, so... Um, so we, we did have the people walk slower, and that's, that's a really good point. You make a note of that. Um, that that's, a, that's just a really good point. Uh, so, so we came out of that thinking that Teresa was probably right. The, um, the issues are likely not going to be gait, but they're going to be posture. Uh, and um, if, you, if you sort of think about uh, how posture would, would measure into this, uh, you know, if you're just standing normally up straight, um, you know, ideally your shoulders and your hips would be in line with each other. Uh, they'd be in line with, uh, uh, with your ankles and, and, and you would be straight. But if you've got your arm out and, th and the dog is pulling a little bit on you, um, uh, and we, um, um, we, we got uh, shown a Juno walk this afternoon uh, where, uh, uh, where Jake took us walking up and down the aisle uh, with him holding the um, harness. And so we um, we, we sort of saw how uh, how there's a certain amount of torque on that. So um, so there, there'll be a twisting of the uh, shoulders so that the arm with uh, the uh, handle is going to be forward of uh, that hip. Uh, and, um, and and as he was saying, uh, the, their their school trains you to uh, to sort of stand with your hand down so that like your thumb could be in your pocket uh, and the dog's uh, hip would be right behind your leg. But um, obviously not everybody walks that way. Sue Ann and I were having breakfast this morning and she looked out the uh, window and somebody was going by with their dog and Sue Ann said that they looked like they were water skiing uh, <laughs> because the dog was going about twice as fast as this person 
Uh, and so their, their arm was almost straight out in front of them as they were, uh, uh, were sort of pulling back on the um, – and so, uh, so I think, the, I think the, the guide dog schools, and this is something that uh, we made some connections uh, uh, today that we'll be talking with some of the people uh, that are looking at this at some of the guide dog schools. Uh, the guide dog schools probably uh, have people ideally walk with their dogs in a way that will minimize – any type of uh, forces uh, on your joints, but how many people sort of slip uh, out in the real world and, uh, and, and take on bad habits? That's, that's an interesting question uh, that we would like to sort of look at. Um, so so that is, that's kind of where we're, where we're going now, where or I'm really interested in, uh, is um, looking at these forces that the dog... Uh, is exerting upon the user's arm, and how that is a biomechanically affecting uh, the uh, the twisting of the uh, the fellow uh, that we were talking about um, uh, this morning uh, from one of the guide dog schools said he travels a lot, and so uh, he like he's walking with his dog in his left hand and he's rolling his suitcase in his right hand, and as he was sort of demonstrating this to us, his body is twisted way around. And he says, uh, so I'm just wondering uh, from a physical therapist, is this going to, like, come back and get me in a lot of years? And I could see the look on Sue Ann's face of, like, ah! Uh, uh, but, but, but that's life, you know, and then that's a situation that, that many of you find yourselves in, I'm sure, a lot. So, um, so nobody really has clinically or scientifically sort of studied these things. And so, um, so that is one of the things that we're looking at. Uh, we're also starting uh, another study right now. In fact, Wednesday afternoon, I think we're going to do the uh, first uh, trial of this. Uh, and um, the, the question that we have, uh, and, and, and this probably goes back to the fact that, that none of us could keep up with Judy while she was out walking with her dog, uh, is um, are people that use guide dogs uh, well-conditioned, physically conditioned? Uh, and um, so we have a fellow... Uh, from our kinesiology apartment, uh, department who is going to be working with us. Um, and uh, so we're going to have people walk with their dogs and with their, their canes. Uh, and they'll be wearing a small little pack uh, that will measure oxygen consumption. So it's uh, kind of a measure of how much uh, uh, energy they're using uh, to see whether you use more or less energy uh, while you're walking with your dog than you will with your cane. Uh, and the amount of energy that you use up is uh, a measure of uh, of how well you're conditioned. Cardiovascular uh, tone is part of that, and uh, probability of cardiovascular disease is related to it. We'll also be measuring some things like uh, like nitric oxide in the breath, which is a good measure of uh, of how well conditioned people's uh, muscles are as well. Uh, so uh, that's a that's a study that we have uh, starting up really really soon. So that's kind of where we are at this point. Now, um, I forgot to grab my recorder. Uh, so uh, let, me, let me get Sue Ann to talk to you for a moment while I go grab my, my recorder because we want to ask you some questions at this point. So far, what are your findings as far as the injuries in the shoulder? And I'm curious because I've had four rotator cuff repairs. Three of them were major, and one was also a detached bicep. And... Right now, the most recent MRI suggests that there are two major tears there again. Uh, that's, uh, that's a great question. Did y'all hear that? 
Everybody got it? You know, about what are we finding as far as shoulder injury goes? And her personal testimony is rotator cuff tears and, and detached, bicep. detached biceps tendon. Right. Uh, this is a question from a physiologic standpoint and physical therapy that, that we're trying to peel apart because you would automatically like to assume that because you are using your arm every day in a different way than a sighted person or someone with a cane use, uh, would use their arm, that we would like to say it's guide dog use that did that. The challenge is with the rotator cuff muscle particularly, um, it has a degenerative nature. So anyone really, mm, sorry, we're kind of over at the, over the hill at 45-ish, Oh, so sorry. But no, t truly, you know, that 55 population and over, regardless of what they have been doing, have a higher risk of having rotator cuff problems and rotator cuff tears. And that is just the nature of the anatomy and how that, um, how that, that rotator cuff um, attaches back into the, to the shoulder. So we're trying, we're, we're, um, tearing apart that question. And we're learning this from the survey because we ask a broad question and then that's what we do is we come back and we go, oh, well, is it age related? Is it dog related? So we are creating a survey that's a little bit more depthful um, to try to determine, you know, match the age and then look at pre-guide dog status, post-guide dog status, if people can remember. And that's also part of the challenge when we do surveys is that we're asking you to remember something that many of you have, or one particularly caught my ear, was 1957. So something from 1957 to present date. How, if you can remember how your body changed and what you were doing when your body changed. Anecdotally, um, as we talk to people, we hear this over and over again. Uh, speaking to a lady uh, over in the um, uh, uh, vendors uh, this morning, uh, and she said to me, well, absolutely, of course, uh, we have problems with our left shoulder. And she then recounted to me, pretty much like you just did, uh, the, the problems that she's had in her left shoulder. And she's been using a guide dog for 40 years. And she said, yeah, maybe after 20 years or so, it's still okay, but as you, as you continue to age. So, uh, so we really do need to look into this. And the literature doesn't have much in, uh, on this at all. But if we... If, if we know that, A, it's a fact, and, B, we know kind of the nature of these injuries, then with physical therapy, I think we can help you through a lot of these problems. So that's what, that's what we're shooting for, really, uh, not, just, not just to gather this information, to know the information, but, but we really want to be able to help guide dog users to uh, uh, have a much better quality of life. So that's where we're going with this. This is Christy Crispin, and I don't have pain in my left shoulder. Where I have it is in my right neck okay, that makes sense. area, and I also have been having problems with my IT band on my right side, and I don't know if that could be what that could be due to, but it's just a very difficult um, situation when I feel like my hips, my hips, my knees, my ankles... <laughs> And my, my, the right side of my leg. Thank you. Yes. And I will tell you, there's a, there's a complex biomechanic analysis that can, has a, 
hypothesis answer to that question because as we observe guide dog users with their in their shoulder posture and wherever the dog is taking them the body has to correct itself so if you if your guide dog tends to and you tend to veer to the right just a little bit with your guide dog or have a strain to the right, you're going to have a counter strain from the opposite side of the body because you need to walk straight. I don't know a lot, but I'm learning more about orientation and mobility training. I have a course set up for August and then a little bit deeper course, yeah, set up for September so I can try to understand the language used and, and what's being taught. But there is, there has to be a, a balancing on the opposite side of the body. And we would like to look, uh, we study that with using um, wireless EMG so we can see what, we don't know what muscles are firing. No one has done that either. So that's a really great, uh, great point. Thank you. I had a couple questions. One is, are you sharing your results with the physical therapy community so that they will know how to treat these painful uh, ramifications of our use of a guide dog. And the other thing I'm wondering is if you have given any thought to um, people with low vision. I have always been yelled at because my posture is horrible. And when I was a kid, I couldn't see very well. And now I can see almost nothing. But I think that affects our posture uh, so that we can get clo- we want to get closer to what we can't see. And I think that probably makes a big difference, too. There's probably a difference between people who have always been blind and people who are gradually losing their vision or, or low vision. And I just wondered if that was part of what you're thinking about. Thanks. Yes, we are. This was um, uh, last February. Uh, we presented at our combined sections meeting, which is a national meeting. And uh, in an abstract format, we hope to have a paper uh, coming out with our, our first survey in our physical therapy literature. Actually, we're, we're looking at the International Journal for the Blind, I think, to publish this in uh, hopefully by fall. Um, and we have in our, in our scope um, training physical therapists to work with guide dog users because they're, uh, what I'm learning and need to know more is I think there are certain things that need certain postures that need to stay tight, certain muscles that might need to stay tight because it is part of the balancing act of using a guide dog. There are certain gait adaptions like arm swing on the right. I am learning that you don't need to have a very big arm swing because it acts as a counter pull, uh, counterbalance to the dog pull. So physical therapists that don't know much about guide dog users and guide dogs will want to put the guide dog user in a textbook and try to make you uh, loose all over, strong all over, without the considerations of what it takes to do the work. So we are hoping, yes, to sculpt out um, a program to teach physical therapists what uh, a, a guide dog user's gait should look like, what the guide dog should look like, and then work from there. So it's very, very different textbooks. So, yes. And posture, absolutely, all of us, um, certainly our vision plays an important part in how we do the work and the computer and how you read as well as how you walk and the effects of gravity then on all of that as we get more rich with life um, make a difference. So, yes, we're going to be working with that posture. If you kind of think about this, um, lots of 
different occupations, vocations, have injuries that are just specific to those. Uh, people that lay carpeting, for instance, almost always end up with osteoarthritis in their knees. Uh, that makes total sense. Um, uh, Sue Ann and I are musicians. Uh, I, I play upright bass, a stand-up bass. Uh, and, and we tend to have, like, bad left shoulders uh, as well um, from, from our arms being up that way. Uh, so uh, it, would, it would totally make sense that there would be a, a type of, uh, of condition that you would see in people that are guide dog users because it's a, it's, it's a repetitive type of, of issue that you have for years after year after year, and so you really would kind of expect that. Has there been any collaboration or, or future collaboration with the guide dog schools in working with potential harness design or training um, going forward in what you find so that that can be become part of um, future guide dog use in, 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 in collaborating so that maybe we, going forward there won't be pain um, or as much. And also, have you thought about working with instructors? Because I have worked at a couple of different guide dog schools and have lots of guide dogs instructor friends, and they are in tremendous pain a lot of the time because they're, they're working guide dogs almost as much as we are. Um, and, it, and at all different paces and different sizes. And at least we get one dog that walks at one pace for many years, hopefully. Um, they're working five, six, seven dogs a day or a week. Um, and so even though they are not using the guide dog as a mobility tool, they are absolutely experiencing the same physical. And, and in fact, in some ways, maybe worse because they're teaching some of the things that we don't have to, like to teach the dog to pull, um, can be incredibly physically challenging. Yeah, we, um, we had not thought about guide dog trainers until this morning, uh, and we were talking uh, to a fellow from one of the guide dog schools. I won't say which one it was. Uh, and, uh, and, and he was saying that they even have a person that works there to sort of just deal with, like, workman's comp issues because of problems from their trainers. And, well, duh. I mean, the... the <laughs> By the time by the time most users get their guide dogs, they've been trained already and they and they're very well behaved. But uh, the guide dog trainers are obviously working with the dogs while the dogs are trying to learn how to do this. So uh, so yeah, we we have talked with uh, a um, uh, vice president from another guide dog school, which we won't name, um, about this issue. But but now we've got multiple uh, contacts that are there, and so we're definitely going along those lines. And I think on harness design, definitely, that is, um, our dean has set us up with a really great lab and hired amazing um, biomechanists that can help us look at this um, and assess this in depth. So we can take a look at harnesses. I, I think I can share with anecdotally, um, when we were doing the survey, someone was kind enough to put it on a different Facebook platform and... We got, I got a uh, four-paragraph um, response almost uh, lambasting us about don't mess with our harness. It's been done before. They tried to do it in Germany and et cetera. And I appreciated that because, you know, I didn't even know that. But we're, we don't want to change things if they aren't broken. But we certainly want to investigate something if we can make it. Is there something we can do to make it better or at least give you an option? So life is good when you have options. The um, question I have, and it's really more, I guess, more academic than otherwise, uh, is the extent to which right-handed, left-handedness has anything to do with uh, physiology and using a guide dog. And then secondarily, in other countries like England, where they train you to 
work on the right-hand side versus the left, does that make a difference uh, in terms of the physiological impact? We cannot find anything in the literature about handedness. Is it better left? Is it better right? It tends... I am just hearing, again, anecdotally, it's preference, but also in the U.S., the way the doors open, um, the way people are right hand, more right-handed than left-handed, so it frees your dominant hand up. If you use a guide dog in the left hand, frees your right hand up. If you need to sign a paper or carry something, um, and that's all I got. Um, I, I look at papers. There's, uh, they have more papers from England and from um, Europe, um, but handedness is never addressed. The left-handed people use their dogs in their left hand as well, uh, and the uh, injuries that they uh, reported in their shoulders were exactly the same percentage as the people that were right-handed. So, uh, so it looks like it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter which hand you are as far as the um, Hello? effect on the shoulder. I'm about, or this fall, I'm supposed to be having a left knee replacement at Coming for Scythe. And I'm, I'm wondering, has there any work been done in terms of pre-surgery and post-surgery with the torque that you experience with a guide dog? That's number one. And number two, Southeastern Guide Dogs is putting in a, a fitness center for the employees and the trainees. We get anecdotal reports of, now we heard some information about a right-sided strain, right leg strain from Our Lady in the back. Um, We get anecdotal reports from same side strain on knee and hip. And it wasn't significant in our, our survey, but we are retooling that and hopefully we can get that out, um, look at that a little bit deeper. And where we think fitness might have something to do, we've noticed that too, that fitness might have something to do with decreased injury. This is um, referring to right through here, yeah. right? Mid-thoracic. Yeah, pretty much. But I have, it, I have it in all different areas up and down my back, down into my hips. And it's like equal, equal um, on both sides pretty much. But there's these big, my husband rubs in my back, he's really cool. And, and, it, and he'll find the little, um, I don't know if it's muscle spasms or what it is, but right now I can barely sit still. And so I'm just wondering, is this dog related, do you think? It's been 38 years, so it could be. And so is it just starting now? Oh, no. No. Okay. Right. I've had back pain for years. Yeah, those are the questions that we want to, to know and dig a little bit deeper in. You know, why now is, is really the, the great question. I'll tell you, I have just made a fabulous contact with a physical therapist that is a guide dog user down in Florida. Oh, wow. I don't know how I got so lucky, but she actually contacted us and uh, with some of the, the information she had heard. And I am thrilled. She, um, she has put a paper out about... Um, how to use the long white cane with and uh, prevent injury, and she uses a term called lumbar um, lumbar protective mechanism. That when you are using your dog or your cane, there is a response of your lumbar muscles to pull you back. Instead, of, the act of walking is about falling forward, and when you have an impediment. Um, or a disruption in that 
falling forward and, and your feet are supposed to fly out there to keep you from doing that. When you have uh, something different, then your lumbar spine tends to pull you back from falling forward. And so it could be overuse. So that's we do have reports of back pain. So that's a really good, um, another area that we want to study. GDB uh, years ago uh, helped their trainers out by teaching the dogs to pull into the harness on a treadmill to help some of their arm injuries. And when I had my hip replaced, oh, 12 years ago, I went and found out the physical fitness exercises that I was going to do, have to do after and start doing before. And um, uh, what I would like is the same sort of thing now to, and maybe first-time users, how to build up what is needed or going to be needed ahead of time. And I do work out in a pool three days a week. In fact, I did my 40 minutes this morning. And uh, the shoulders are a a really big problem. And just from something you just said about the suitcases, I would have a half-ton suitcase. And, yes, the dog is in the left and that right shoulder is torquing. And I'm sitting here wondering, why is my right shoulder hurting way down there? And now maybe I know. So uh, preventative and uh, ongoing where we can learn to do the things for ourselves because we can't all get to or pay for a physical therapist. But, you know, they, they could teach us the right exercises to do for the right things. I'd be more than willing to do it. Thanks. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, this: the solution to the luggage issue um, is to make sure you have the luggage that has all four wheels in the 360 so that you're not pulling it, but you are, are pushing it right alongside you. Uh, and that will decrease the torque in your thoracic spine. We also have something new that has been ordered, and uh, we should have uh, this device within the next few weeks. But uh, we told you about the gate right, where you walk on the gate right, and it shows where your feet come down. It shows the weight on your feet, and not just the weight on your feet, but the weight on all your foot, your toe, your heel. Uh, and and uh, uh, when, we, when we did this study last year, we had the dog walk on the floor next to the gate right because... The gate right doesn't measure the dog's steps very well and just thinks it's noise. But we have just ordered uh, from the gate right company, because they're working on it as well, a dog gate right. So we'll be able to put it next to the human gate right, and we can measure the dog and the human, because it's, it, it's, it's a synergistic group. So uh, we can measure both of these together. Now, I'm already thinking how to measure luggage uh, on that. So. <laughs> I, this is Brad. Um, I have a question. I find it fascinating to, to think about how to design these experiments so that you can compare um, canes versus dog use and comparing apples to apples rather than apples to oranges. And that's a big challenge, like when you're talking about the gate right. And I think everyone, I, I was hearing lots of noise about slowing down the people using guide dogs because what I think you'd want to look at is the normal situation for people, not how they are when they're forced to slow down. Um, But that stuff, you already have your 25,000 points of data. So I thought, well, let's move on to your your next thing, thinking about what to do in the future. And you talked about oxygen saturation, nitric oxide in the blood. And you have the same kind of situation there where you have the question of whether to um, take a discrete period of time 
and say, you have this much time in which we'll measure you go this distance. And it's plenty of time for everyone to do it, but then you do an, an average of the saturation or something. But then that also gives you an opportunity to let the people with the, the dogs go as fast as they want, and you get to measure both the, um, the uh, exertion level, how, you know, because they may be more exerted, but then they may come down more quickly, and if you average it, then the average might be low. And so you've got multiple places to measure there where you can do some more apples to apples. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on or plans about that. Uh, right. On, on this next test uh, or series that we're going to do, both of the tests are self-selected speed. So we are not controlling the speed in a one-mile walk, uh, one walk test. And then the second one, we won't control the speed in a um, six-minute walk test. So we have a distance test and a time test, and they will select their own speed. Absolutely right. It's, it's always the most difficult thing in any type of experimentation uh, to know what your control is, what you're comparing against. Uh, and we had about a two-hour discussion in my office a uh, week before last uh, about what was the right control to use in this upcoming oxygen usage thing. So uh, it, it, it really is an extremely difficult question because sometimes, sometimes you end up having to do things that you know are not normal and physiological, and yet that's all you can do to measure in that particular case. And then you end up having to ask the question, does, does the data mean anything at that point? So, so we are wrestling with that. But we're also listening to things that you were saying, uh, and, and this will go into our new arguments in my office next week. Are you available where we can speak to you outside of this room if we have additional questions to ask you? My email is suann, S-U-E-A-N-N dot Kalish, K-A-L-I-S-H, at U-N-G dot E-D-U. And my phone number is 706-864-1480. And I welcome your calls and your emails. All right. Sure. Sue Ann, S-U-E-A-N-N dot Kalish, K-A-L-I-S-H at U-N-G dot E-D-U. Okay. What a great presentation. And I was fascinated when I heard it the first time and fascinated again when I heard it today. So I hope that you have enjoyed that. And I definitely want to encourage you to uh, make suggestions for uh, things you might like to have on the Juno report or things you might like to have on community chats because ACB has the wonderful community chat forum and at GDUI we've taken advantage of that a couple of times. We'd be glad to take advantage of it some more if you have ideas for things we might like to talk about. All right, well that wraps up the Juno report for this month. Next month, we'll all be going to convention. And as I said, I look forward to seeing many of you at the virtual convention. We will have Juno Report for July, just as always, um, and look forward to your comments and uh, feedback about this program. Thank you so much for being with us this month. 
You've been listening to the Juno Report, brought to you by Guide Dog Users Incorporated, a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. The Juno Report is a monthly audio magazine featuring all things guide dogs, training programs, and items of general interest to guide dog teams. We welcome your feedback, ideas, and suggestions. Get in touch with the Juno Report by emailing junoreport at guidedogusersinc.org. Again, that email address is juno, J-U-N-O, report at guidedogusersinc.org. Until next month, this is Deb Cook-Lewis with the Juno Report saying, be good to your dog.